My guest today is JJ Virgin, who really needs no introduction whatsoever. She's been around for decades, a powerhouse in this space, four-time New York Times bestselling author. I mean, she's just so knowledgeable. It just blows my mind. And what we're going to do today is go deep into one of the most popular books, in my opinion, The Virgin Diet. Drop seven foods, lose seven pounds in seven days. And what I love about JJ is she is just so real. She is going to tell it to you like it is. She's going to call you to the carpet on a couple things. So you might need to change some things with your diet to really push past that weight loss resistance that you are experiencing. This is JJ's specialty. Weight loss resistance is her jam. And she relates it to food intolerance and things that you might need to take out to get your body moving and to shift from being a sugar burner to being a fat burner. And I wanna quote this from JJ, your body is not a bank account, it's a chemistry lab. I absolutely love that quote because it just really sums it all up. And it sums up what we have to do to change the way that we're eating, to really look at what we're putting in our mouth. Maybe we need to track. Maybe we need to weigh ourselves every day. So you guys enjoy this. This is one of my all-time favorite interviews. I absolutely love her. She is my mentor, colleague. I'm proud to call her a friend. Please enjoy this interview. JJ Virgin, the woman, the myth, the legend. I'm just, I'm proud to call you my mentor, colleague. I mean, you've helped me tremendously. So I just feel blessed to have you on as a guest. And you've done so much. I mean, you are so well known in this nutrition space. Your work is pretty much unprecedented and you still look like you're 30. So I can't even believe that you have published multiple books. You've helped multiple people. You've been on TV. Now you're helping business owners. So you've just done a tremendous amount. And really, I mean, how you look speaks to how you take care of yourself. So thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah. You know, as you get older, you're like doubling down even more in nutrition. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Holy smokes. It is fun now because, you know, in your 20s and 30s, you see friends that are like, you know, I remember one gal, she smoked and, and lived on candy and she was like gorgeous and a little skinny waif. I'm like, this is not fair. And no. then you start getting into your forties and it's like, it all evens out, <laughs> right? It all evens out. Yep. So, you know, that's what I feel like now. It's like, boy, 40 plus, I'd argue even into your thirties, you better be focusing on this or you are just going down a rapid aging train, hard to get off of, but you can. Yeah, you can have, I mean, it's never too late to reverse it or to take control of your health. But if you start early, because just like we were talking about off camera, so many women, especially in their 40s and 50s, really hold on to the message of hormone replacement and even my audience, thyroid replacement. And while that's important, I think we're getting too far away from the basics. Yeah. You know, here's the thing. Like I, I'm a big fan of hormone replacement therapy. I, I am on thyroid replacement because that went sideways in my 40s mm -hmm. and I'm on estradiol and testosterone and progesterone. However, what you want to do is use those once you've gotten yourself as healthy as humanly possible with the baselines, right? You don't just go do like a, you know, an abusive lifestyle of eating processed foods and not working out and getting stressed out and stealing from sleep. And then I'll just hormone it 
do it with more. No, that doesn't work. You know, you can't skip the basics. And I know everyone loves to biohack, but you know, when you get to biohack, when you've done everything, all the foundational stuff correctly, now it's just the little bit at the top. It's like the, the sprinkles, not even the frosting on the cake. It's the sprinkles on the cake. So first we have to bake the cake. Then hormones are frosting the cake. And then once you get past that, throw some sprinkles on, but we got to like, the cake seems to get overlooked which is amazing to me, right? It's like people going and wanting all this, uh, I'm going to do laser and fillers and get great skincare creams and they're they're eating sugar. Yeah. And they're not eating enough protein and they're not working out. It's like, come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's get back to the basics. Well, the virgin diet, I mean, you've written multiple books, but I really want to focus on the virgin diet because it is timeless. It's a fantastic message. It's been out 11 years. It's hard to believe. And it's, the message is drop seven foods, lose seven pounds in seven days, which sounds way too good to be true, but you've done this with multiple clients. So it absolutely works. It works. And the premise is to remove certain foods so that your body can do a whole bunch of the things that it it, it should be doing, which we're going to talk about today. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So we're actually coming out with the new improved virgin diet, because some a lot of things have come out in the research since then. And also a lot of more product options have come out. Now, what I don't want people to do, I remember when I first started playing in the world of gluten-free, mainly because I had clients coming to me and I couldn't figure out what the heck was going on. And I was like, well, why don't we try pulling gluten? <laughs> Magic happened. But back then they'd come in and they go, I found gluten-free cupcakes and cookies. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not gluten-free are the things at the supermarket that don't have a label. <laughs> Those right. are the gluten-free I want you to get. The avocado, I don't want you to go get the gluten-free cupcake. So I think it's important as I'm going into the next stage with Swap to Drop, which is Virgin Diet 2.0, is it isn't, oh, now we have all these great, fabulous, you know, gluten-free products that you can dig into. No, it's it's just really getting into more of, did some of the Virgin Diet work because we were getting away from all these, I call them dirty processed foods, mm -hmm. could be some of that, you know? You know, was it really making you just become more aware and making sure you're getting the protein in that you need to do could be some of that as well. Right. So, but I do think it's important. And what's interesting, Amy, is my, uh, that line of drop seven foods, lose seven pounds, just seven days. I don't know that you could have that on a book title nowadays. They'd be like, no, but the reality is I've had people lose 12 pounds right in a week. And then I've had people lose two pounds. And to me, it's really about taking 21 days because it's seven's the first start mm -hmm. and pulling out foods that could be creating inflammation in your in your diet in your body and then letting your body have a chance to just breathe cool down and de-inflame I don't think that's a word and then looking at the end of those 21 days when you've swapped and that's why the, the new book swap to drop it's it's not just pulling out those seven foods it's more importantly what are the foods you're putting in in their place that are going to help heal you and then looking at 21 days and going, okay, I've established a new baseline. Because I think that for most people, they don't know what feeling good feels like. They don't know what it feels like to not have to need coffee at three in the afternoon. They don't know what it feels like to not try to knock yourself out with a glass of wine. You know, it's like all these things that we accept as normal using, like you go to the drugstore and all of the things they have for gut problems, all the pain medications and, you know, diarrhea and constipation and bloating and all this stuff. 
you know, what would it be like if you actually didn't have to use any of those things? And that's where we want to get you is that baseline. And really what the virgin diet does that I think is revolutionary is it's not a diet and people come up to me and they'll go, I've been on this for 10 years. I go, but it's, that's, it's a, it's not a 10 year program. It's actually three weeks and then a discovery process to figure out which foods work for you and which foods don't. Right. So that you, and, and the reality is you should do that once a year because cut permeability, you can become, get leaky gut at any point, but it's really an idea that we should carry into everything. Diets are tools. They are not absolutes and they're not religion. <laughs> I like that. crazy for saying that, you know, and I always say that because I just had to speak at an event where I had a lot of vegans at the event. And I'm like, listen, I'm going to give you science. Yep. I'm not going to talk religion. This is this is what's out there. You make the decisions that are right for you. But like we get people in here warring, like in the in the nutrition industry. And I'm like, geez, let's just look at the research and then make decisions based on that, and then check in on our body and connect the dots, see what works best for us. And the idea that there's one thing that's going to work for everybody is ridiculous. And then you look at a lot of these diet books out there, and I go, all right. Since I know a lot of the people that have written the diet books, I always think people write the diet book for them. Yeah. And then they become like, you know, this is everybody's book. I like, no, it's not, you know, like right. give that, give that program a try, see what works for you, see what doesn't take what works, put it into your everyday eating plan, let go of what didn't work, take that out of your everyday eating plan, intermittent fasting, which I think is a terrible name because it should be, we should stop eating three hours before bed. We should eat two to three hours after we wake up in the morning. That's so we have a restrictive feeding window. That's how we should eat. Mm -hmm. That's pretty clear and established. That yep. shouldn't be considered a diet. That could be, should be considered flossing and brushing your teeth, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like yeah. we should be eating between a nine to 12 hour window. We shouldn't be eating 15 hours or more as Sachin Panda has shown in his circadian clock app that the 90% of the United States eats 15 hours or more. Like they get up in the morning, wake up and just eat till they pass out. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So there's specific things that I think are fairly absolute for most people, but for the most part, this is all an exploration and everything that we do, I think should be an invitation based on what your current goals are, what your lifestyle's like, you know, and then you, you test this thing out and go, huh. And so that's how I designed the virgin diet. It's you as, as your chief scientist, right. Of your body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who's going to test, who's got specific goals. And now you're going to test out to see, all right. So when I go through this, huh. You know, especially when we talk about autoimmune, because we know that that especially dairy and gluten and eggs and corn can and soy can be triggers here, right? Mm -hmm. What do I find as I start to do this? Am I starting to feel better? Could I find that if I went through and I pulled these foods out? And yes, I could take a food sensitivity test and that could tell me, but I don't believe it gives you the whole picture like you listening to your body gives you, where you really pull out the foods that tend to have the most potential to create an inflammatory response in your body. And again, a lot of that depends on how permeable your gut is. So you go through the process, you let everything, you clear it all out. You've given yourself at least three weeks, four to six weeks better. And then you one by one test things and see how you feel. Because mm -hmm. I don't really care if a test says, oh, you can handle dairy great if I eat dairy and I break out. I got my answer. Right. I don't know. Right. <laughs> right. 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 I love so much about that. So much of what you said, because number one, you're breaking it down into 
simple terms. And you're just saying to people, pull these foods out that, like you said, scientifically, we know cause inflammation in the majority of people. Now, you might luck out and you might be able to bring back, let's say, grass-fed dairy. But if you can't, then you can't. And don't waste your money on an expensive test necessarily because it may or may not be accurate. The food sensitivity test could be picking up on what you ate yesterday, but right. just do your own self-experimentation and listen to your body. So I love that. You're just breaking it down into just simple, simple terms. That's well, it. I also don't think like food sensitivity tests, I think have their place, but, and I think it has to be an IgG4. So it's not going to go, oh, you ate this yesterday. Oh my God. Right. It's going to look yep. at a delayed reaction. Something that's been accumulating for months. However, what you first want to do is clear out the most likely culprits and get gluten and fructose and alcohol and pain medications and stress under control, get those things dialed way down, and then give your, your gut a chance to recover. Because if your gut's inflamed and it's more permeable because of those things, and you go get a food sensitivity test, it's going to be like, whoa, I'm reacting to everything. Everything. And, then, and you hear it, right? There's nothing I can eat. I'm like, no, 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 that's, this is not helpful data at the moment. Right. <laughs> exactly. And then people freak going, out. Ah, right yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. I can't eat anything. It says I can only have lamb. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, exactly. So, yeah. Well, so, that's what I love is that you say that people can add it back in like after 21 days. So you don't get that deer in the headlight look of do you mean I can never eat dairy again? JJ? It's like, no, no, no way. Well, here's why. Here's here's the whole thing too. You pull out the classic top hi-fi foods. What are they? Gluten. So gluten doesn't show up on a typical food sensitivity test because it's it's a different type of response. Wheat would, but gluten intolerance, what about 40% of the population has genetic gluten intolerance. It's like a little less than 1% is celiac. But the challenge with gluten is that it, number one, the challenge with gluten, the first challenge is glyphosate. <laughs> so that's wreaking havoc. So, you know, that's the bigger challenge with a lot of these foods. It's like, well, which part of the thing is it? Is it the glyphosate or the gluten? But we also know in the United States that we have super glutened or gluten by hybridizing it and dwarfing it. So it's got a more concentrated gluten content. And one of the challenges that gluten does is it in the gut, it triggers the release of zonulin and zonulin makes your gut more permeable. And so, you know, it's just like things like I say, you know, there's different things in your diet that people can use that, that irritate their gut or make it more permeable, not helpful, <laughs> you know, right. which people are like, oh, but it makes things absorb better. I go, not in the way you want that to happen. So gluten's not going to be good there. And fructose does the same thing, sadly. And fructose, I'm not worried about eating an apple, but I am worried about apple juice concentrate, agave syrup, high fructose corn syrup, all these things that we're getting concentrated, added amounts. No one's having leaky gut because they eat an apple a day because those pectins are so gut healing and so good for the gut. But you start drinking apple juice every day, totally different story. You know, apple juice is worse for you than a soda. And every time I say that, it's like, it's like I said, and there's no Santa Claus and the earth is flat and all these horrible things, you know, and, you know, it's like, you yeah. know, and I don't like your mom, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's just the way it is, you know, apple juice is higher in fructose than, than a soda. It's, and fructose is very problematic in terms of aging. It's the most aging sugar we have. So first thing you got to do is just let go. All right, we're going to pull out gluten, dairy, eggs, corn, soy, peanuts, which I started pulling those six out and I didn't pull sugar and artificial sweeteners out at first because while sugar is 
disrupting the gut microbiome, messing things up and creating an environment for all of these food intolerances to happen, it wasn't creating the actual response. So at first I was like, nah, I'm going to just pull out gluten, dairy, eggs, corn, soy, peanuts, because when I looked at food sensitivity tests, eggs and dairy were always at the top, then corn, soy, peanuts were next. And again, gluten was a different test, but we know what gluten does. What I discovered, Amy, is that if you don't pull out sugar, you know what people do when you pull out those other things? They replace it with sugar. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Who would have thought? So, and then you really look at sugar and you go, okay, you look at what artificial sweeteners can do to the gut microbiome in terms of making more glucose intolerant. You look at fructose and what it can do to the gut permeability. And then you look at just sugar in general. And it's like, this is no place here. It's not helpful. Right. So that's why it's part of those seven. And the reality is too, when you pull out these things for 21 days, it makes eating processed foods pretty much impossible because they all have some of those. Yep. So all of a sudden we're getting rid of the damaged seed oils. So those are going bye-bye. I'm amazed at how many health foods posing on the shelves of whole foods, by the way, total aside, have yep. canola oil in them. What is that about? What is that about? Like it, it's just, you know, here they are like, we're not going to have any GMOs. I'm like, you have canola oil right in there. You do. Right. Okay. So anyway, an aside, um, but I think a lot of what happens when you pull those things out is you get rid of a lot of these dirty processed foods and you start to really focus on, all right, I'm going to start protein first and I'm going to make sure I'm eating clean proteins that will heal my gut. I'm going to swap in some great non-searchy vegetables with colors that are going to give the polyphenols that my microbiome need to be healthy. I'll make sure that I'm getting healthy fats that reduce inflammation. Like all of a sudden you do these things and you start to pay attention to your symptoms. Cause I always start people with the virgin diet and I go, okay, let's, let's look first at symptoms, gas and bloating, joint pain, headaches, fatigue, cravings, inability to lose weight, skin issues, acne, rashes, stuff you wouldn't necessarily connect to your diet right. until you start to connect to your diet and then you're like, the light bulb goes off. And you're like, oh, <laughs> wow. Right. There it is. Yeah. yeah. The throat clearing, the dark circles, the dry eyes, the itchy ears. So we look at all that stuff and we start to do it week by week. And I think it's super empowering to change the conversation around food. You know, we have food as, as I believe there are some absolutes in food. Like I think they're just things we should not eat. Yeah. I think artificial sweeteners are one of them. I like, I know that, that there are people out there that, that think they're fine. I don't. And artificial sweeteners, I don't mean allulose and monk fruit. Those are not artificial. Those are natural. Right. But the pink, you know, the yellow, the blue. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Pink, yeah. The those. Yeah. <laughs> the pink, yeah. the yellow, yeah. the blue, they shouldn't be in there. You know, I don't think, I don't understand how margarine ever made it on a shelf, like, or butter buds or some of these weird things. Like they just have no place in our diet. But beyond that, when you go through this process, feel what feeling good really feels like, realize that a lot of the things that you've been masking with medications or, you know, alcohol, coffee, or sugar actually are just a, a, a food reaction. And you start to feel like feeling good. And then you can connect the dots and go, when I eat this food, I feel this way. The conversation isn't, oh, I think I'll have a cheat meal. Right. Right. Because right. you know what it does to you. So it's like, and you've already found great replacements. Like I like to swap. I'm not going to say, you know what? I'm going to swap your 
I'm going to swap that burger for some broccoli sprouts. No, that would be stupid. No one's going along with that. But I could swap the regular, you know, fast food burger, corn fed garbage thing. I could totally swap that for a grass fed, grass finished burger with maybe some sauteed mushrooms and onions wrapped in butter lettuce with the little Dijon mustard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, who Good. would want yeah. that? Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, you know, there's simple things you can do, swaps that you probably like better. And then all of a sudden you notice how you're feeling and all of a sudden weight's coming off and your aches, your joints don't ache. And you're like, why would you want to go back and have a cheat day? Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make any sense, especially when you know that a cheat day doesn't end there. Right. Right. Because, and, and this that. is why these cheat days make me crazy. They're crazy because once you understand food intolerance, it's like, you've got a scab that's healing and then it's almost healed and you go, you know what? I'm going to just rip that scab off. And now it's, now it's ble- bleeding again. Yep. And then you got to start healing again. Right. And it's almost healing. Then you're like, I'm going to rip the scab off. You know, it's like, it's not going to work, you know? And then the minute you rip that scab off, you're like, I just think I'm going to pick at this. I just want more of this. You know, I like now that I remember, oh, I, now I remember what that tiramisu tastes like, you know? So why be mean to yourself? a great analogy. It's a fantastic analogy. And all of the symptoms that you just said from the dry skin to the hair loss to the, the joint pain can all be correlated back to a thyroid problem too. So maybe if you do this way of eating, if you do this type of elimination diet, do the virgin diet, you might notice that your thyroid improves. And actually that happened to my assistant. She started off as a patient And she never told me that she had really severe joint pain to where she couldn't even hold a pen. And of course, you know, we start optimizing her thyroid, optimizing her hormones, pulling out the gluten, pulling out the inflammatory foods. She tells me down the road, she goes, you know, I couldn't even hold a pen before, right? Because my my joints were so inflamed. Like, oh, by the way. Oh, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't even tell me that. So she's thinking, oh, maybe it's rheumatoid arthritis, overuse injury, And then you see these things get better and you're like, oh, wait a minute. That's actually tied back to what I put in my mouth. Yeah, it's I remember as I first started doing this and what happened was I was working with a lab company. I was working with a supplement company designed for health and lab company Metametrics. And I was going around teaching doctors how to use food sensitivity testing in their office. So they would walk in and complain about all those things I just talked about. And we would put them on. We'd have them do the the food sensitivity test. And then they'd come back, we'd take them off the foods, and then all these things would disappear. Of course, I had a three-week wait between the test getting sent in and the test coming back. That's when I started just going, why don't I just hold on? These same foods are showing up. I'll just do this instead. And so I had the chance to see, I mean, besides that and besides taking now, I mean, it's like nearly, it's about 492,000 people have gone through virgin diet now, to my knowledge. And when I look at all of that, the weird, the wild, like things I never would have expected. I had a gal who had, I'm trying to remember, uh, psoriatic arthritis, who put it into remission by going on the virgin diet. I had a gal who was going to physical therapy three times a week because of her Achilles tendonitis went away in two weeks. Mm-hmm. I'd been going to the physical therapist for her Achilles tendonitis for a year. Now, if she'd said to me, hey, I'm going to try your program because I want to get rid of this, I would have been like, I don't, that's not going to work. <laughs> Right. You know, I would never have expected right. it. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So shoot. It, it just tells you we've got to establish a baseline. Like, you know, I love working in weight loss resistance. 
And people will come to me and go, I can't lose weight. But then I'll look and I'll go, but you've never really dialed in your diet. So you don't actually know. So we have to dial in your diet. We have to get your, your exercise going, get that muscle mass on, you know, make sure that you've got good sleep and your stress is going. Then we know if you're weight loss resistant. Right. Right. But, you know, if you've got all these ultra processed foods going in, you've got some high inflammation going in, creating insulin. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't think you've got weight loss resistance. I think you just haven't dialed. You don't really realize what your food's doing to you. Right. And I like how you say too, that you can't just do it a little bit. It's like being like kind of pregnant, right? You, because most people don't, one thing that really hit me in the book is when you said most people don't correlate, let's say the, the wheat whole grain cereal that they're eating in the morning to how they feel later that day or the next day. Everybody thinks it's going to be an immediate reaction. Everybody thinks it's going to be a gut reaction. Well, I don't get bloated. I don't get diarrhea. So therefore that food isn't affecting me, but it is beneath the surface. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could take, it could take an hour, it could take a day. And, you know, there's a variety of ways you can look at it, your blood sugar monitor is going to tell you something, your scale, I had one person, Amy, who goes, okay, I tested gluten. And um, it didn't do a thing to me. Now my weight went up three pounds overnight. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Hello. unless you ate like 12 loaves of bread i i this clearly it did something to you mm-hmm. because your weight doesn't jump up three pounds overnight because you like ate a piece of pizza unless you're intolerant to it and right. now you're inflamed so we've got to be able to look at all these different metrics and go is this working for me or is this not it's why we really have to know our numbers. I know there's this big push out there that, you know, we got to get off the scale. I think that is a big mistake. And I'll tell you, you you know, 35 years ago, 40 years ago, back when I was going to people's houses as a trainer, paying my way through grad school, I would take the scale out of their house and I'd only let them weigh in once a week because there was all this stuff about this would create all sorts of like craziness with people. And I would do skinfold calipers and regular scale. Mm -hmm. And what I learned pretty quickly is that there was a big disparity. I knew it I could between waist measurement, skin folds, and I knew that it had to be visceral fat, but I didn't have any modeling yet. Then biopene scales came into being. And now I could look at a skin fold caliper, you know, pinching an inch. Pinching an inch works for a metabolically healthy person, but the minute you become metabolically unhealthy and you're you're storing more visceral adipose tissue, that deep stuff you can't pinch, mm-hmm. it becomes it becomes completely wrong. And you'll find people that can't pinch anything and they've got a lot of visceral adipose tissue. So I think we've got to retire pinch an inch and almost go like, if you can't pinch an inch, we've got a problem, right? Um, so I started reevaluating all this information. First of all, people who weigh themselves daily tend to maintain their weight better. Now, I think we really have to trash our scale and get a bioimpedance scale and compare it twice a year to a DEXA scan because we've really got to know what that weight's made up of because someone could be 150 pounds. Like I'm a 150 pound female. Mm -hmm. Now, here's what's interesting. I've been 150 pounds pretty much my whole life. And I did a DEXA scan. I did all the bioimpedance and underwater weighing and everything else in doctoral school one semester. And it was when I was a vegan and doing tons of cardio. I was 25% body fat. Wow. Oh my gosh. I was in my twenties. Now, then at 39, when I'd switched over to being omnivore, focusing on protein, doing lots of resistance training, I was 13% body fat. 
At nice. 59, 14% body fat. And so what we have to do is, and, you know, we have to know what that scale is made up of. Cause I'll have people say, oh, I'm the same weight I was in high school. I go, but unless you've been actively putting on muscle, if you're over the age of 40, you're not the same body. You're a fluffier version of yourself. And so we've got to know what on our body is muscle, what on our body is, is fat and using a bioimpedance scales. One of those metrics, just like a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor can be great too. Mm-hmm. monitoring your sleep. Cause you'll really start to see, you know, is my food working for me? Is my, you know, is what's happening with stress and sleep and all of these things. And, you know, diet just happens to be one metric. That's really easy to change. I'd well, say fine. simple to change, not easy. It's really yeah. simple to change. Simple to change. Not, not, yeah, simple. not necessarily easy. No. You're gonna get it's going to be hard, time. but you know, it's like what, what I, I heard a great lecture and he used this and I went, this is so good. Okay. So we know that probably the simplest metric to change would be diet, changing when you eat, what you eat can make a big difference. It's hard though. It's hard if you've gotten used to every morning, you go to Starbucks, you get your healthy morning muffin, which is more sugar than two hostess cupcakes. And you have your little skinny latte. It's skinny after all, but it's all non-fat milk sugar, which is totally jacking your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be hard to go, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make a loaded protein smoothie at home. But it's also hard to have to then start checking your blood sugar throughout the day, going on on diabetes medication, right? Yeah. And right. So there's two hard. Do you just have to pick your hard? I pick switching over to the protein shake personally. Yeah. All day. You know? Because it tastes just as good too. So, yeah. so you right. just get to yeah. choose your heart. All these things, like, yes, working out is hard. It should be hard. That's the point of working out. It's got to be hard because you got to do more than what you're used to. So your body will continue to improve. If you do the same as what you're used to, your body doesn't have to change. So it has to be something you can't normally do. And it's hard. And people go, that's hard. I don't want to do that. It hurts, blah, blah, blah. And I go, well, what's really hard, having worked with people in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, is when you can't get off the couch, mm-hmm. right? Yep. You know, And yep. you got to get someone to pull you up. That's hard. Yeah. So I don't know, pick your hard there. Pick your heart. I like that. That could be a big saying that we put on the wall, right? Pick your heart. Because it's every day. Every day you have to get up and make a choice, this or that. Right. And you have to yeah. pick your heart. And yeah. I'm glad you brought up the scale too, because actually ever since I was on your podcast and we talked about this, I've been weighing myself every day because you're right. There are those fluctuations that you can absolutely see. Let's say when you do kind of go off the rails, like I did this weekend, I saw the, the scale go up three pounds. And just like you said, that's not, that's not a normal three, you know, that's definitely yeah. an inflammatory worth of food. A hundred percent. Right. Exactly. So I, I'm, I'm a fan of that. What is your thought about tracking your macros, like tracking calories, tracking protein, tracking the carbs? Well, since we know that the average person grossly underestimates what they eat, I think all of these things are helpful. In fact, I just pulled out a food scale this morning because I was doing something. I go, I just want to see how many ounces this is Mm because I was eating some sliced turkey and I go, I don't have any concept here of how much this one is. So I'm just going to get, get you. So I'm always trying to figure out. So I'm aware of how much something is because I still remember I had a client who was so frustrated with her weight and I had her at the gym five times a week and I'm like, all right. You know, we are digging into what could it possibly be. She's reporting what she's eating. And then I go over to her house for dinner. Now, I'm over at her house for dinner and she's cooking. And I am watching her as she's cooking. She is putting everything as she's cooking into her mouth. 
like everything. I was like, uh-huh. I was horrified because I was like, you've eaten basically more than you would want to eat for dinner before you even ate dinner. Like you just ate it all before you right. got here, which I think a lot of moms do when they're making making dinners and lunches. You know, it's easy stuff to do, right? Uh-huh. So I think it's super important to do these things so that you can get really clear on how much you're really eating. Like when you look at it and go, okay, I'm going to eat. Uh, my recommendations are like around 0.8 grams per pound of your goal body weight. So let's say that's, you know, hundred and let's say that's 90 grams of protein a day. So we're dividing that into 30, 30, 30, 30. I want to track that to make sure you're getting it right. Yep. Then if I, and I'm always tracking like the things that I watch the most in my diet, I watch to make sure I'm getting the protein I need. And then I track vegetables okay. and fluid intake. Because mm-hmm. I think that if we lead with protein first, because it's more thermic and, you know, if you've got 10 to 15% of your overall metabolism is digestion and we can boost it a little bit, like proteins, 20 to 30% more thermic, is that going to make a massive difference? It'll make a little, I'm going to take every single thing. I want Absolutely. every advantage, every single one, right? So we've got that. And I know that if I lead with protein, it's more satiating. And so then if I then put with it non-starchy vegetables, so I've got protein and fiber, which slow down stomach emptying, ghrelin suppressed, I'm going to not feel hungry as quickly, protein takes longer to digest, and I'm getting, you know, protein protein and vegetables are my two non-negotiables, like I want people to get non-starchy vegetables for all of the polyphenols that feed the gut microbiome and the fiber, so that's where I always start, because I want to make sure you get those in. Mm-hmm. Then I'll go past that. Usually you've gotten healthy fats between those two things. Most people don't need to add more. Right. And I don't find most women like, you know, we still have to watch total calories. Right. You can lose it quickly with, with fats. Oh yeah. Right. I mean, it's really easy to go, oops, just a little extra olive oil and some nuts and boof, you know, and it's it's like overloaded and, and, you know, it's, it might be healthy, but too much healthy food isn't healthy because your body has to put it somewhere. And ideally you've built muscle. So you've got a sponge for the sugar and you can store that those extra carbs in your muscle for energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, maybe you have a little space in your liver, but you know, liver doesn't have that much space. And so after that, if you've got too much and you the protein hopefully is going towards amino acids you know, there's, there's all this controversy with protein, as you know, with like how much, and I remember someone pinged me, Amy, and they go, my manicurist, I kid you not, my manicurist told me that you can only absorb 27 grams of protein at a sitting. 27. Don't know where she came up with that, but okay. 27, (laughs) 27, whether you're a man, a woman, uh, like, I was like, can't you even like, look at the silliness of that statement, you know? Right. Yes, there is a rate limit. Do we really know? No one, I've yet to hear how much it really is. I think everybody's kind of like, oh, if I had to go a little over, I'd rather a little go over than under because you can use protein for energy if you need to. But if you look at that and build that way, then, you know, it's it's interesting if you really make sure that you're getting your non-starchy vegetables. I think we need at least five servings a day, more better. Yeah. Um, and your protein then you'll see what, and you've got some healthy fats in your protein. You probably used a little bit of healthy fats in your vegetables. Then you'll see what else you actually even need. Yes. Right. Yes, <laughs> you know? exactly. Exactly. So, I'm glad you touched on the protein too, because I'm always talking about that. And I'm sure you see this or saw this with your clients when you were working one-on-one, I'll, I'll pull up a woman's food journal 
And the other day I counted maybe 20 grams in a day. Oh in my gosh. Day. Yes. I mean, it's horrible. Now that's an extreme. I would say most women are coming in like around the 50 to 60 gram that's mark. What the averages show is that women are getting 40 to 60 grams of protein a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's that really, ain't going to cut it. Too low. It's no. way too low. And then you wonder why your hair is falling out and it's thin and why you feel like you're losing muscle and you're losing strength and you don't even want to go work out. I mean, it's coming back to protein and your energy is low. Below yeah. protein, protein and inflammatory foods. Boom. You increase your protein, you take out the inflammatory foods. You're going to feel tremendously better in a short amount of time. Yeah. In a very short amount of time. And that's, what's amazing. Like in a week. Yeah. In a week. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's, what's important because for most of us, we have been on a diet. We've been on two. We've probably been on 10. Mm -hmm. For most of us, we go on and I'll, I'll tell you the first couple of days of pulling foods that you're intolerant to out the way that our body reacts to a lot of food intolerances is that it's created these antibodies. So as you and immune complexes, so as you first don't feed the beast, it's like, where is that? And you'll start to crave the foods that you're hurt that are hurting you, which I always say is awesome because you're going to have a great, great, great impact. But once you get past three to four days, you're, you're through it. And I think for so many of us, we've tried these programs and, you know, seven days in, we're like, okay, I still hate this. And I feel like crap. Right. Yet, if you can do something where you go, okay, wow, I noticed a huge difference. And now I just need to go, what do I need to do to continue this? Right. Which things should I have? Which things shouldn't I have? And what are the hallmarks of a healthy eating plan for me? And I wish that there was a word for healthy eating plan and a word for diet, because I think we get them all bungled up. Yeah. You know, I really think that we, the way we need to look at diets is, okay, I'm going to, these are the problems I'm trying to solve for. And what's something that's been shown to be therapeutic to, to affect that. And then let me test that and see what works in my body. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I know we, we would always say in the nutrition fitness space, clean eating, clean. Well, these days, what the hell is clean? Eating? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, what? Is, so you're getting a chicken from Walmart. Okay. It's protein, but it's loaded down with hormones and chemicals and yeah. God knows what else. So yeah, we do need it. We do need a new word. I think, I think clean eating just means you left the United States and <laughs> yeah, that's all you're, I can figure, you know, in Italy having some gluten. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you're eating, but it's clean. Yeah, exactly. Sadly enough. So I want to dive into before I let you go too. I want to dive into soy because I have not yet. I talk a lot about gluten and its effect with the thyroid that it's a, a basically molecular mimicker to the thyroid and you're going to get that autoimmune flare. But the interesting thing about soy, obviously, in the thyroid space, we tell people to avoid it. But I want to get the why behind it because it can actually affect your hormones. It can affect fertility. It can affect the sex organs of babies and their nervous system if the mother eats it while pregnant. So can you expand on, on soy and what you found? Gosh, soy is, is another one that's so conflicting, you know, and I was looking at, Kayla, I don't know if you've ever read any of Kayla Daniels work. Mm -hmm. uh, who wrote, I think her book was There Is No Joy in Soy, who okay. really just went through and unpacked soy. And when I first started looking at soy, it was because I was, I, I got to go to a little event with Lauren Cordain. Do you know who he is? Oh yeah. He's the, he's the OG of the he's the paleo OG of paleo. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I was in a little thing. This was 20, this was like 22 years ago, maybe 23 years ago, probably 23 years ago. I'm in a little conference room in Las Vegas. There are eight of us. 
and Lauren Cordain. And it was like my world just got rocked listening to all of this paleolithic principles and how he was turning around autoimmune disease by taking out cereal grains Mm -hmm. and soy and legumes. Like, you know, now I got to tell you, I still really, I think legumes can have a place in the diet, but if someone's really got autoimmune stuff going on, I think, and this was what my mentor back then taught me is the farther, the the sicker you are, the farther back in your ancestry you want to go. And the whole premise behind paleo is that like, let's eat what we were eating five to 10,000 years ago. Now, I think a lot of the triggers to the problems we have happened in the last 70 years, you know, 1950s on up, Mm -hmm. and especially in the last 20 to 30 years, you know, because we have all the pesticides, toxins, ultra processed foods, bad oils, industrial oils and sugars. But you look back and you start to see a lot of these triggers And so I think the autoimmune paleo diet protocol has a really, you know, it has a definite place here to just test out and see what happens when you pull all these foods out. One of the key ones is soy. So as I started to dig into it, you know, soy was used in Asian countries to remineralize, to get nitrogen back in the soil. Then they discovered if they heavily fermented it, heavily, massively, they could get rid of the anti-nutrients and use it as a, you know, as a protein source, right? Mm-hmm. So the key thing here was heavily fermented to get rid of the phytates, the lectins, the tryptin inhibitors, trypsin inhibitors, all the different stuff. Mm-hmm. And, but still, when you look at a lot of the research, pulling it out, there's some research showing that it can be helpful with, you know, potentially in the estrogen part of things for women. Right. But- there's also all of the information about like young boys developing quickly, young girls or not developing, young girls developing quickly, men having lower brain volume. Um, I certainly, unless I was trying to, I remember I was working with this group of athletes that were working to become the next heavyweight champ of the world. I did a lot of consulting in the heavyweight boxing world. Nice. I really don't know why. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. But somehow they were drinking. So I came into they were they're like, and we want you to teach them nutrition. I go, really? Do we need to teach them, or why don't we just give them what they should be doing? You know, and I'll explain why. But you can imagine a bunch of like eighteen to twenty-two year old guys. I was like in my forties, and I was like, okay, kids. You know, right? (laughs) I know, I know, I know. But you know, we're going to actually do something important here. But they were drinking soy milk. And I'm like, do you want man boobs? Like, this is the worst possible thing you could be doing. It's going to drop your testosterone. So, you know, I think we've got to look at these things and go, what are some of the issues here? The goitrogens. I had, when I was on Dr. Phil, we had two of our weight loss challengers who were vegetarians, Mm -hmm. who were living on soy. And I'm like, this is one of them's thyroid stimulating hormone was like, it was right at it was like 4.8 and the doctor would not give her any hormones because it was in the range. And I'm like, ah, and I couldn't help her because she wouldn't stop the soy, you know? And I still think of those two gals because they both, they lost. They were like two of the the ones that totally just didn't, they were losers in the, in the group, like not good way. But you look at soy and we know that it can, it can lower thyroid function. We know it's got the goitrogens. It's like questionable about the whole thing with with hormones for men, for young girls, for young boys, Mm -hmm. and it's new to our food supply. So I know there's some positives in some of those phytoestrogens, but I also look at that and go other places we could be getting those. Exactly. Don't have some of these potential issues. 
So, you know, because it turns out there's a lot of foods that have phytoestrogens in them. So there must be a reason nature put those in. So I just, I still don't think soy is a, is a good option, especially for people with any kind of thyroid issues. And, you know, I mean, we have like, I don't know why you'd need to use it. We've got coconut aminos mm-hmm. for soy sauce and where else would you like have to use it? Right. Yeah. Why, why add in the tofu? Why add in the edamame? There are so many other. Well, edamame especially is very problematic because think about it. It's not fermented. Mm -hmm. So the worst possible thing you could do is eat edamame. And restaurants are serving it up as an appetizer. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, I lived in Japan. I was, uh, and, but here's the crazy thing about living in Japan. So I lived in Japan. I helped bring aerobics to Japan way back when. And you didn't know that like weird little, weird little things that that I've done in life. So when I live there, I can tell you that we think what we think the Japanese diet is and what the Japanese diet is are very different things. Okay. And they like, the only time I ate tofu was their little like miso soup had like a couple tiny pieces. And then I'd eat what they call poured man sushi, which was a wrap, a tofu wrap. It was super thin. And it was mainly sugar. Like I look at back then, but their diet was like seaweed, fish, rice, you know, and salad. <laughs> That's what I, you know, little vegetables and very small amounts. I'd have to order like three dinners. It was very small amounts of food. <laughs> okay teaching aerobics five hours a day. So it wasn't what people think of all this. Like I never once saw soy milk in Japan. I didn't see soy hot dogs, soy ice cream, soy cheese, soy yogurt, soy kefir, none of none of these weird processed foods. Like if you want to talk about an ultra processed food, look at soy, like anything soy, these soy ice creams and soy cheeses and soy, soy, soy with, and generally they'll have bad oils in them and they're just gucky and they taste icky. Yeah. Too. Yuck. Yuck, you know, so I know that soy can be good because it's got more, you know, it's got all the amino acids, blah, blah. But, you know, I'm sorry, I don't see, I don't see it if you've got a thyroid, I, I don't see it as a woman. Right. Or, yeah. and I definitely don't see it as a man and I or don't see it using for a kid. So I don't see it. Yeah. How's that? <laughs> not even, not even necessary in our diet. Just take it out, eliminate it, done. Yeah. Okay, JJ, last question. I lied before I let you go. Last question. Insulin resistance, because I see it a ton with my patient population. If the thyroid is off, you're going to have dysregulated insulin. And the interesting thing, again, coming back to the Virgin Diet book, is a lot of these foods that we could call, I guess, healthy. I mean, there's that whole clean, healthy, whatever we're going to call it, right? Mm-hmm. Those foods alone if they are affecting your gut, coming back, increasing the zonulin, increasing the permeability can actually cause insulin resistance. So you could technically be on a low carb diet of sorts, be eating some of these foods that you really should be taking out and still, you're still insulin resistant. You're still having that response to your blood sugar. So I think this is where a a continuous glucose monitor is just like the greatest tool. Like, I just think these are such great tools. And, you know, I don't know if you're, I don't know if I told you the story. So I'm wearing this continuous glucose monitor from NutriSense and and we post something on social about it. And I guess the hashtags the team used was like something around diabetes. And I got like complete there, like this total attack. Now my team's like, oh my gosh. I'm like, yeah, 
you know, and here was why I was being attacked. Okay. Type one diabetics were like, you're taking away our continuous glucose monitors. Then we won't have them. I'm like, I can totally understand if there was a shortage of right. continuous glucose monitors. However, there's not a shortage of them. There's more than we need. And what we do have is a, like, you know, we sit here and talk about a pandemic. We have a pandemic epidemic of metabolic health problems. I mean, it is so ridiculous. And gosh, if you start, if all you did was start measuring your muscle mass and improving that, measuring your sleep and improving that, measuring your blood sugar and improving that, we would not have metabolic health problems. They would be gone. And so, you know, we need to really look at use a, a continuous glucose monitor because it can really tell you like, is this food working for me? You can overload on protein and hijack your blood sugar, right? It can, it's going to increase insulin. It's just, it's not a safe, free food. Like nothing's a free food. You yep, can't, yep. you can't drink as much celery juice as you want. God forbid, you know, you just like, you know, you can't eat all the broccoli. You Like there's nothing we need to eat everything in balance. And that's where I think you really need to look at this in a whole picture because you could be eating correctly. And you could be exercising, but if you're not sleeping well, you can start to become insulin resistant. Right. Right. You could be, you know, doing loads of walking, but no muscle main, maintaining and start to have some issues with blood sugar and insulin because of your stress. So there's all sorts of things that contribute to insulin resistance. And it is just the metric. I wish we wish we had, and apparently it might be coming. The blood sugar. I think it's because we can't get the sensor. We, it, it, you know, it's not into the blood. But I would certainly love to see if we could look at blood sugar and insulin in real time. Oh, then we would yes. could you imagine. Because what we start to look at is we'll look at your fasting blood sugar, a hemoglobin A1C, which is your blood sugar over the last couple months. And a fasting insulin. But what we really want to see is them, the minute one's a little off, now we've got some dysregulation. They should be playing together. And ideally, insulin's two to five, you know, fasting and your hemoglobin A1C is five or under. And I'll tell you, until I started wearing a CGM, I could never get my hemoglobin A1C five or under. Oh, interesting. Never. Yeah. Because I didn't have the information I needed to really connect the dots between what I was eating and, and things, it was funny. I was just talking to David Perlmutter about this and he goes, it is wild cashews hijack my blood sugar. Oh, bummer. I like it. I know. Right. Yeah, like, damn it. I know you're like, Oh, I feel for you, but you know, it, it really helps you go. These things work and these things cause a spike. Like I'm going up more than the 20 to 40 points. I should, because of this, I ate Kiwi, my blood sugar hijacked to 180. I did the fasting mimicking diet. My blood sugar went to 225. Yep. 225. Yep. I was like, holy smokes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Now I, it, it is very interesting because when I was wearing mine, I, I, I poo pooed it forever. Very similar to you. Mm -hmm. I, I have a dark chocolate addiction. So I did not want the CGM to tell me that my dark chocolate was spiking my sugar, but I caved, I wore it. The interesting thing was keto foods. So like keto cereals that are packaged and you can buy it at the, at the grocery store and an artificial sweetener. So you mentioned about stopping, stopping by Starbucks. I just, you know, I wanted to treat myself. So I got, I got an almond milk latte with two pumps of sugar-free vanilla. I went to 200. Just that wow. was it. Yep. Well, and also like I, those artificial sweeteners can still kick insulin too. And you know, that almond milk at Starbucks has got a bunch of sugar in it. Too. Sugar. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was not yeah. the unsweetened. It was not the unsweetened. Yeah, because they don't have it. Right. You know, it's just like you go to, if you go over to Starbucks and you put anything in your drink, you're done. Yeah. Because all of their coconut milk and oat milk, and they're, they're like sugar bombs. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Sad. I know. Yeah. That's why a CGM can be great. Because you're like, okay, I'm out. I get it. I yep. see it. Darn it. And deal with that data. You gotta, you gotta face the data and deal with it. Right. I know. And that's, but you know, then you can do something about it. So you don't wear a CGM for the rest of your life here. You wear a CGM to get your habits dialed. And then if you feel like you're going off, like I wear them when I'm traveling, just Mm -hmm. go out so I can see in real time what the heck's going on. Yep. So it helps a ton. Love it. JJ, this has been awesome. I mean, this is everything that I wanted to deliver to my audience in just a nice, compacted, clear, concise form. So thank Yay. you so much for, for coming on and just imparting your knowledge to to everyone. I appreciate it greatly. My pleasure. I really do. Anything that you have coming up? I know the the book, the 2.0, Virgin Diet 2.0, anything else in the pipeline? You're doing so much all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's the big, we've been doing all sorts of little metabolism, like different rescue guides. That's what we're working on right now, or just simple. I like to take the science, synthesize it, put into simple action steps. So based on what you're working on, you've got a plan that you can do, because I think that's really important. And I think that's the most important message for everybody is like, you know, you're not going to fix it all overnight. Just pick the thing that you need to focus on, focus on the thing, dial in the thing, then go to the next thing, right? So maybe right now it's a CGM and then next you're going to go do your DEXA and start really focusing on, on improving muscle mass, just one thing by one thing, right? Yep. And prioritize, obviously, like thyroid takes precedence over a whole lot of other stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah get that right. online, but do it all at once. You know, don't just do the thyroid medication, do all the things right. together so you can actually get rewarded for your efforts. I, I honestly don't think people should should get thyroid medication unless they consent to really following the diet because it's so clear. <laughs> you know, it's like I wish I wish it could be that way so people would understand the importance of it. But I might have people I, start signing off on that. Like I, I promise, agree. I promise, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's it's purely because you, you know our jobs are to help people get healthy and do the right things and it's you know trying to put just you know here you are doing an integrated approach but if you just take the the hormones without doing the rest you didn't you know band-aid so there you go thank you jj i appreciate it so much once again